0: Tonight on Arena, we talk to lamb Chops Kurt Wagner and Priscilla, One Life, Night Swim and Good Grief are the films for review. You can text us on 51551 or tweet at RTE Arena or you can live stream on rte.ie forward slash arena. Now it's film night. This evening we're looking at four brand new films for 2024. Sofia Coppola's much anticipated biopic of of Priscilla Presley Simply Called Priscilla is released this week. Based on our memoir Elvis and Me it follows her complicated relationship with the king of rock and roll. Next up we have One Life featuring Anthony Hopkins as humanitarian Nicholas Winton who helped save hundreds of children from the Nazis on the eve of World War II. We also look at Night's him, starring our own Carrie Condon. The film follows a family's move to a new home with a seemingly inviting swimming pool. And lastly, Good Grief, Dan Levy's directorial debut about a grieving husband who heads to Paris with his two best friends to face up to some hard truths about his relationship. I'm joined by Ruth Barton and Paul Whittington. Uh, we'll start with Priscilla and you can listen back to Sean's interview with director Sofia Coppola on last night's show on rte.ie for slash arena also um Ruth, we think we know this story about Elvis Presley when he was a young man, was sent to do national service in Germany and there he meets Priscilla, this young 14-year-old girl and they fall in love. But I suppose we never sometimes explore how young she was and what it was like for her meeting the king of rock and roll because he was famous then.
1: He was famous then but of course what this movie reminds us of is he was also older. And and here's the kind of creepy part of of a film. I mean, a film I thought was really great, um, where the director, as she said last night um, when Sean was interviewing her, has decided to focus on Priscilla rather than on Elvis. And you know, this it's always tempting to think, oh, Elvis, and and we're going to see somebody impersonating Elvis, and how will he do it? But Elvis is kind of he's 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 played very interestingly by Jacob Al- e- Elordi, who we um, saw in Saltburn a few yeah, a few weeks ago. So he's kind of very handsome and very charismatic, but he's the secondary part of this story. And it's really about this 14-year-old girl. She's uh, stationed with her family in Germany. She's bored stiff. It's a very copula film. It starts with her painting her toenails pink, and then you see her feet landing on this thick pink shag pile carpet. And she's in this all pink bedroom. Um, and she gets invited to a party um, that's being held by Elvis and she's of course dying to go and her parents go and I'm not sure and you know here's the first question should they have let her but she goes and he's surrounded by this entourage of sycophants and 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 Throughout the film, he's surrounded by this increasingly sort of creepy entourage of people who just are there to back up everything he says. And so the relationship begins because, of course, she adores him, and of course, and she's absolutely thrilled because he's, he's, you know, he's he's paying attention to her. And so she's fourteen, and this is where the movie um, kicks off. And he's twenty-four, and this is the first. <laughs> really creepy part of it. So, Paul,
0: as we said, it's based on Priscilla Presley's memoir Elvis and Me. Yeah. So we do get a very one-sided point of view. It's her point of view throughout the film.
2: Yeah, it's entirely her point of view. Um, we, it, it, it's really a loss of innocence sto- story and also a coming of age story. And it's fine for us to have her, entirely her point of view because we've had plenty of Elvis and Elvis has been very... This film is not saying that Elvis was a monster of any kind. He was a man of his time in many ways. Um, but he's been all his sins have been forgiven by posterity everybody lo- loves Elvis and this is really about this very strange situation would not which would not have been allowed to happen now like she finished her schooling at Graceland like now it, 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 the point is made that they were apparently not having sex but it, like talk about grooming and um, Ruth talked about Elvis and his entourage and Jacob alordi he's I think he's six foot five and that is used um by Sophia Coppola just to emphasize how looming he is and how how constant a presence he is he's not a malevolent present but he presence he's very controlling he's very clear ideas about how she should look how on brand she should be and she came uh to 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 this fairyland expecting you know a kind of fairy tale fairy tale and soon realizes it's anything but she's He's on the road thanks to Colonel Parker's greed and these movie deals. He's away for months on end and she's left on her own in this ivory tower. Vernon, the dad, doesn't really like her or trust her. And then when he is there, all the goons are with him. So they don't really have a kind of private life or a proper marriage uh, in any way. And she gradually realises that that is, isn't going to be enough for her. Th-
0: there are some clashes though because of course yeah. as any young girl she's reading fan magazines and she's reading about affairs he's supposed to be having. With his co star Anne Margaret. Anne was actually having, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we'll just play a clip here. Uh, Priscilla, played by Kaylee Spanny, is confronting Elvis, played by Jacob Elordi, about a note she finds from Anne Margaret. We
3: need to tell him that's not going to work. I can't make it on time. I want to be there in the first place, man. Daddy, I'm, I'm not to back. back. I don't go imagining things.
4: Like Aunt Margaret? Scooby? I
3: oh, said, woman, I don't want to hear another word. Well, is there something you're hiding? I don't have a goddamn thing to hide. You're just being too goddamn aggressive in the You know, I think you should go see your parents for a little while. What? Well, I'm not going. I think you should. A matter of fact, I'll help you. Start packing. Joe! Hey, Joe, what's up? Jo, get someone on the next flight out of here. She's going to go see her parents for a little while. Get her ticket out of here. Hurry up!
0: That's a pretty nasty scene there between Kelly Spani. He is controlling. I
1: mean, he is it's really controlling. The other thing that he does is he's feeding her uppers, he's feeding her downers, he's feeding her LSD. And the the, the, the sequences when she's um, at Graceland, where she's supposed to be going to school, where well, she goes to school, but in order to go to school, every morning she gets up and pops a pill. And she's only, like, 17. Mm-hmm. And so you know, she has been completely f- sort of fashioned, literally fashioned by him in terms of, as you were saying, how she dresses, yeah. how she even... The color she dyes her hair, everything.
0: It is classic uh, Sophia Coppola movie, isn't it? It's like if you think of Marie Antoinette, a young woman finding herself in a foreign country. I mean, Mm. Graceland could be seen in a similar way, and how she copes, or or again uh, Lost in Translation, a young woman, you know, found in it, you know, finding herself in Japan in adult company. These are the areas she loves to explore.
2: Yeah, they are, and um, this does align with all of that. Um, What what's most impressed about Katie Spenny's performance is that she has to play her from the age of 14 to practically 30 and she does it so well and she, you know, is unassuming and almost mousy at the beginning and then gradually she realises, she begins to understand what she will accept and what she won't accept especially after she becomes uh, a mother but uh, she's terrific and she's so good because um, uh, I talked to her t- a, f- a few weeks ago and she she said that um, Jacob Lordy almost has more lines than her she doesn't say much so she has to express all that's going on yes, with her face because she's
0: in Graceland on her own yeah. for a long time yeah. isn't she obviously being bored and and th- those are hard that's a hard role to, mm. to express
1: yeah and it's expressed through colour as well so it's you know Mm. and this is really again classic Coppola you know I was talking about the pinks at the beginning but when she gets to Graceland it's all golds and dark browns and so the so you can feel her entrapment in the in the way that the decor is set up as well and so you know and partly it's by shooting her face and, and and her her vulnerability but also if you sort of you're almost subliminally taking in the fact that, that, that she's caught up in this real prison, in fact. <laughs> you know, why would Graceland be a prison? But it is.
0: So stars out of four or out of five for Priscilla.
1: I gave it I gave it four out of five. I thought it dragged a little bit at the end, but I thought it was fantastic.
0: For you, Paul? Yeah, I gave it four.
2: I thought it, it succeeded in its aims really well. And as I said, Kelly Spaney is terrific in it. I'm sure she'll be involved in the awards. Conversation, as they call it now.
0: Now, next we have One Life which tells the true story of Nicholas Winton, a young London broker who, in the months leading up to World War Two, rescued 669 children from the Nazis. It stars Anthony Hopkins, Helena Bonham Carter and Johnny Flynn. Paul, can you tell us something of Nicholas Winton?
2: Yeah, I mean, when, when I vaguely remember seeing his obituary in the Guardian when he died. I think he was 106 or something and I didn't really know much about him and um the, the central to this film, which is actually people you, you might, it it could be a little bit t v movie at times, but it's very good all the same because the story is so strong central to it is this appearance on That's life, which um older listeners might remember with esther Ranson. and basically they they cornered him uh, and um the audience was full of all the grown up people who he had saved as children and it's it, it's the story of that um and it begins with Anthony Hopkins as um, Nicholas Winton in his 80s and he st- his wife orders him to, to, to clean out his, his study and he finds a photograph of a girl with a baby from um, Prague in 1938 and that sets his mind uh, working.
0: OK, so we go back in time yeah. now and we're hearing Nicholas Winton, this time played by Johnny Flynn, and his mother Babette is Helena Bonham Carter. They've organised the rescue and passage to British or Jewish Czechoslovakian children before the imminent start of World War II. They seek the help of Mr Ledbetter, played by Michael Gould, to speed up the refugee application process. I've seen your letter in the press. Well, then you understand the urgency. The process...
4: Our first group consists of 20 children who are in the most dire need. They will arrive by train into Liverpool Street Station in in two weeks' time.
0: Yes, two weeks' A fortnight.
4: Which is why we're asking for your help to 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 accelerate the process. You know,
0: applications
4: are dealt with in turn. The process takes time. We don't have time. The German army could cross the border any day.
0: Mr. Ledbetter, these are your children, yes? They are. No families, just like this. Just like yours. Living in conditions you cannot imagine. The threat of war hangs over them. What they have done for you is to stand against Nazi expansionism. All they ask in return is a temporary refuge for their children, from whatever horror is yet to come. Isn't that the least this country should offer? Helena Bonham Carter there in One Life. Ruth, I mean, it does recall Schindler's List, but it is a more, a smaller piece.
1: It is. It's, It's. I mean, it is, again, it's a biopic. So it, there is a certain tension within the film because what a biopic does is it picks one singular hero and tells their story. And, and I mean, the casting of Anthony Hopkins is a stroke of genius because... The, Here's somebody who's just turned 86, so he must have been 84, 85 when he shot this film, and he really plays the part with incredible nuance. But but, but the interesting thing about Nicholas Winton was that he didn't consider himself a hero. So you've got a film that's set out to create a hero about somebody who didn't consider himself a hero, and that's the kind of it's an interesting tension but it's not one that the film is fully able to resolve because of just that format. Um, and why
0: does that make uh, Johnny Flynn's role more difficult playing the young and uh, Nicholas Winter?
1: Yeah and there is I mean the, the, fi- the film is you know as you, as you get it, it you know that was one of the flashback sequences that's set in the, 19, in the late 1930s and then we're in the late 80s going into the 90s with the it's a sort of present-day sequences, so there is a difference, I think, between Johnny Flynn's performance then, where where it's real classic, as you're saying, BBC, yeah. very tasteful period drama. I think the flashbacks are,
2: are 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 the ordinary part of the film, they and, are. and and yeah. the 1980s parts are the really It's interesting the interesting parts. part. And yeah. There's a different yeah. pace. I mean, he, yeah. he is
1: this is, um, you know, this, this is uh, James Hawes who directed, you know, he's directed Black Mirror, he's directed Slow Horses, Slow horses which I love, mm-hmm. so he is a really good TV director, but He's better at the slower se- scenes hmm. um, between um, uh, Lena Olin and Anthony Hopkins, who play, you know, husband and, and there's a wife. there's a lovely
2: scene as well between Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price and these yes. two great actors just kind of riffing off. Which is a lovely scene. That it's a lovely scene because yeah, mm. yeah.
1: uh, they were they were in the Two Popes, remember? And yes, they, they you know they've had great late life yeah. careers, both of those. Yeah, they have. Um, and you're kind of watching it just for those actors, almost.
2: You are the the, the star, as we said off air of the of the period piece, is Helena Bonham Carter who steals every scene she's <laughs> She's fantastic, who plays the mother, yes. <laughs> <laughs> tough mother who gets everything done. She's great.
1: Yeah, she's doing The Crown again, isn't she? She's yeah, a,
2: but with with an accent, but she, she's With really a German good accent, accent
1: though, this time, though, yeah. yeah. No, she's yeah. really good. And it's actually really worth watching, the uh, if you go onto YouTube and watching the real Esther Ransom yeah. clip, which has had like half a million views, because it is incredibly moving. And this is a real... And you can no, see how 100.
2: excruciated he is as well. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there, but then, but then
1: he's, he's just wiping a tear from yeah. his eyes. Well,
0: okay, stars out of five, then from you, Ruth.
1: I went, I was sort of drifting between three and a half and four, but I'll go, I'll go four
0: four, and from you, Paul, four,
2: yeah, one four life. for me. And I think, how, how, I was just saying, I, mean, I don't know if it is it possible to get better when you're 85, 86, but he's just he is so naturalistic, in this he's so yeah, good. He's Every fantastic. little thing he does is interesting, and the pauses, it's yeah. the silences, yeah, really
0: good. So we've a parting of the way now, uh, because <laughs> you have seen Night Swim, Ruth, and then Paul has seen Good Grief. Let's start with. With Night Swim because it stars Kerry Condon and it's um, it's it's a horror film with the horror coming in the swimming pool.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a very low budget horror film. It's by a first time uh, director, although he scripted the short film Night Swim that it that's now been expanded um, into a feature. So you know, I, <clears throat> I can just imagine that he sat down and he rewatched all his favourite horror films from uh, the from from the twentieth century. So. It's got something nasty coming out of the water, but obviously they can't afford the ocean, so they've got a swimming pool. Um, They've got. (laughs) Oh God, um, that's a bad start. It's not a. (laughs) Yeah, I mean this is a this is a a film. This is this is genre filmmaking by numbers. You've got a small budget. No, it's a little harder. But so what you have to do is lots of jump scares, and you have to have kind of creepy music to cover over what are actually enormous holes in the script. Um, But basically, coming out of the plug hole is this brown gloop. And, and there's a very, very stuck together monster that we glimpse, luckily only only occasionally. But the story is anyway. This family, um, uh, the the husband, the father is an ex baseball player who has now got MS. So he's they're moving into a home. They've been moved around the world. In you know, classic, the kids, you know, unsettled because they've been moved from school to school. Um, and uh, Kerry Condon plays the wife. And so they could move into a sort of sheltered housing type place where he'll get treatment, but they decide, they see the swimming pool, he knows that swimming will be good therapy for him, and they buy it, da -da! this is going to be a horror story.
0: Big mistake.
1: Big mistake, because anybody who goes swimming, it's called night swim, particularly if you go swimming at night, creepy things start happening. And we've seen in an earlier kind of pre- uh, sort of pre credit sequence, uh, we've seen um, a young child disappear basically <laughs> into the into the filtration system. Um oh, yeah, nasty. Uh, she went after a little red boat and she got sucked into sort of gloop. Okay. There's a of gloop in the so movie. Is is this a good
0: vehicle for our Kerry Condon? Yeah, we wonders, the, uh, indeed. After a great success in Banshees.
1: Yeah, one well, wonders indeed what her agent I mean I have to assume that her agent signed her up for this pre banshees she's probably made before it yeah. Yeah, I'd yeah. say so. And I'd say that if I mean it's open the door as they all do tonight swim too and you know, I'm kinda hoping she doesn't get the call or that her agent, you know, feels it because <laughs> she's she does great stuff. She's you know, she's actually acting, which is probably against the flow of the movie. Um but she's got nothing to do other than being you know, he's he's the he's the selfish husband, she's the smart wife, she's the one who sits down at a computer, works out that the, Bad things have happened in this in this house beforehand. So she's got to save him. She's got to save the children. She's got to stop the monster. She's got actually. There's a cat involved too, and then there's a very bad mother who's not like her and who has capitalised on the things that can go right with the pools. Am I drawing gro- you in? It's
0: slightly <laughs> growing on me. Um, night swim. How many stars, Ruth? Um, I've given it a generous two. A generous two, okay. Now, you've seen Good Grief, Paul. Yes. And this is Dan Levy. People would know him from Schitt's Creek.
2: Yeah. He, Which we he, should spell so people know we're not swearing, yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course, S-E-H-I-T-T. <laughs> and he uh, he stars in it. Yeah. He wrote it and he directed it. That's right. And Ruth Negga, another Irish star, yes. is starring in it.
2: Yeah. Um, it, 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 I mean, it's interesting. It's got a bit of a kicking, I noticed, over the water. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, it's set in uh, what looks like Mayfair in this vast townhouse which he is his character is Mark and he lives there with his husband Oliver who's played by Luke Evans and uh, Mark, Dan Levy's character is an artist and illustrator but he's occluded a bit by Oliver who's this writer whose books were turned into this um, multi-million dollar um, film franchise so they're very wealthy and they seem very happy but then uh, doesn't Oliver go out to go to the airport and a car hits his taxi and he's dead. And that's a bit of a spoiler, but it's not, you can't talk about the film without that because mm-hmm. it's about grief. So um, Mark takes to the bed. He's not happy and he has two very uh, special friends of his, one of whom Sophie is played by Ruth Negger. The, the other one is played by Himish Patel, um, Thomas, and they do their best to cheer him up. They coax him out of his shell. And a year or so later, he's kind of just recovering when he finds a letter or a Christmas card he hadn't opened from Oliver in which he says that he's met someone else and uh, they have to talk. So he now has to he now has to wonder what he does with his grief. He finds out that Oliver had bought um, um, an apartment in Paris without telling him. So he brings the others to the apartment where this kind of, you know. Existential confrontation occurs.
0: But he hasn't told them when he told he's going. He hasn't told them where he's from going, from Paris. so they, they don't so know. So they're where having they're going. a great time in Paris and his heart is they're broken. They're kind
2: of having a great time. They're, the two of them have problems like Thomas um, uh, was in love uh, with Mark and may not be over it, and Sophie uses alcohol to hide her unhappiness. So okay, they have their problems. We'll
0: just listen to a clip here Sophie, played by Ruth Negga is setting up a profile for Mark for a dating uh, app and is looking through his phone for Susan photos. Mark's friends, Thomas that's Haimish Patel, thinks it's too soon for him to go on the app.
4: What do you mean I have to pick a song? It's a dating app.
3: The song plays over a montage of pictures of you.
4: Well, is there
2: thank you, is there an option not to? I mean, what what kind of songs do people pick?
0: Raise your head. An overload of creative directors picking Radiohead. It's only been
3: six months. He doesn't have to do this.
2: Thank you very much. Tony Braxton, you're making me high. Works
1: every time. How do you know that? Nod me this one, didn't it? <laughs> hmm?
2: <laughs> it was the pictures that worked for me. Can assure you, it was the pictures. Although,
3: had I known what I was
2: getting
1: myself into? Anyway, I had legendary slideshow.
3: Men love a thong strap. God love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've kept his nudes That's so sweet What? it's fucking romantic I'm sorry I was just looking for photos of you And I can't find any of you alone
1: without him And I It's weird cropping him out
0: Do I look older to you? I feel like I've aged a lot No
1: Yes, your husband just died You're allowed My God
0: I believe her I was going to say Dan Levy was a bit self-indulgent but then of course he's grieving so I suppose he's allowed. Yes,
2: he is allowed and that's rare to hear Ruth Neger using her own accent there. I think that the writing at the start of this film is a little bit stiff and that her, I can't decide if it's overwritten or underwritten so she's working against that. But she comes into her own late on when we we, we she gets to explain a little bit more about her own unhappiness. Um, I and there's say, lovely
0: scenes of Paris
2: yeah there's lovely scenes of london there's lovely scenes of paris it has to be pointed out that they you know they they're not they're, they're not in peckham or barbès they're in the nice bits of paris and that perhaps extreme wealth might help with the grieving process but um
0: starts out of 5 Paul. I, I I
2: didn't mind it too much to be honest i think he has promised i'd like him to make more films i was reminded mm-hmm. a bit of sort of woody allen and Richard Curtis, so three stars for me.
0: Okay, three stars. That's for Good Grief and the other films Night Swim, One Life, and Priscilla, both reviewed by Ruth Barton and Paul Wishington. Thank you so much. You're listening to Thursday Night's Arena. Nashville's Kurt Wagner has been making music as the frontman of his band Lamb Chop since 1986. Billed as an alt-country band, the songs have long since gone to incorporate soul, jazz, indie rock and electronica. The latest album, The Bible, brings together all these songs and more. Fans can hear it live in Dublin alongside earlier Lamb Chop hits when Kurt and musician Andrew Broder played the National Concert Hall on the 31st of January as part of a European tour. I'm delighted to be joined by Kurt Wagner on the line now from Nashville. But before I speak to him let's listen to a track from Lamb Chop. this is Up With People from the Nixon album.
3: Yeah, there comes a booming sound
0: to come from underground uh-huh. That's Up With People from Nixon, the album from Lamb Chop and I'm delighted to be joined by Lamb Chop's Kurt Wagner who will be coming to the National Concert Hall on January 31st. Um, Kurt, in the past uh, Lamb Chop have been described as alternative country but now listening to your more recent albums, that's very much a shadow, the country sound. Would you Would you agree with that, that it's much more Electronica, indie rock, jazz, and soul influences.
5: That's true. I, I think um, it encompasses all of that. Um, it's certainly. Um, I just enjoy making music and exploring the different um, options that are out there.
0: Yes, I suppose coming from Nashville, you must have been steeped in country music. At every every gig you went to, walking down the street.
5: Right, yeah, it's true. I mean, there was a lot of that going on growing up in Nashville, particularly in the '60s and '70s, as I was a young man.
0: Um, before performing as Lamb Chop for almost four decades now, it, it, music wasn't your first ambition. You were looking at the visual arts.
5: Indeed, I was. I was trained as a, a, a painter and sculptor. Um, I went to um, university and stuff like that, and was n- intending on being a professor.
0: And what changed your mind? Or was music always there as a sideline?
5: <laughs> it certainly was something I was always a part of. I never really intended for it to be uh, what it became. Um, it's just uh, as life turned out, that's where it, where I headed.
0: And your parents were classical mus- musicians and were interested in electronica as well.
5: Well, they were certainly deeply interested in classical music for sure. And um, they exposed me to... Um, even the earliest forms of electronica, um, particularly, uh, there was, uh, an artist here named Gil Trithal who pioneered the Moog synthesizer and they would take me to see performances by him.
0: And, and so obviously in time that, that, that crept into your own music.
5: <laughs> I imagine it did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I embrace all kinds of music. I just, um, I, I enjoy a variety of types of music and, um, I think that a lot of that came from them who also exposed me to a lot of different things.
0: And you are the constant in Lamb Chop. You are Lamb Chop and yeah. then um, performers come and go. Is that the way you see it? You see it as a, a collective and based on your entrance, your, your interests, the, the musical musicians makeup of the band changes.
5: Sure. I mean, we're talking about a long period of time. And over the course of time, people's lives do intersect and then diverge. Um, And and in my case, that involved uh, quite a number of various musicians over time. But it certainly is a collective activity, something of of a bit of a community amongst ourselves.
0: So uh, the setup for this tour you're on and the tour that's coming to Dublin, it's Mm -hmm. you on vocals and Andrew Broder on piano but knowing you, there'll be a lot of electronica involved in both the voice and presumably the instrumentation.
5: Well, surprisingly not. Um, This this particular presentation will involve simply piano and just my voice without any electronic um, influences at all. Um, The notion being to take the music down to its purest and most intimate form, Um, and this is a way of presenting it... uh, what we do is we perform um, non-stop. Uh, we don't stop between songs. Everything is interwoven together for 75 minutes. And in the course of that, uh, we cover a lot of territory as far as the music that Lambchop's created over the years.
0: And because both of you have uh, experimented with electronica, with voice processing um, and other elements all of electronic music, uh, why did you decide to pare it down then for, for the tour?
5: I I think it's something that I've been, the notion of the human voice in its purest form is something I've been deeply interested in, I think, for the last year or so. And this is a way to explore that Um, and to maybe even further that uh, down the road. This is just an extension of my uh, exploration uh, about music itself.
0: Uh, listening to Up With People uh, there, it's your voice that is yes. that is so, um, so unique and wh- what got, you know, I think a lot of the interest in Lamb Chop. But mm-hmm. your voice is something that you like to play with
5: in I terms do. of changing it. Yeah, I'm very curious about what's possible, particularly as technology evolved. And I wanted to give it a try and to see what I could discover about it. Um, what it has done is sort of driven me back toward the purity of what a human voice can be. And essentially, I looked at all of that processing and stuff like that as simply another uh, person, if you will, to interact with um, so that I have something to play off of or lead me down to some place I've never been before. And uh, technology was my little buddy, if you will.
0: <laughs> and your own voice, did you f- see that uh, very distinctive st- style in your voice or were you a bit maybe unsure or not as enthusiastic <laughs> as, as others about your voice?
5: Well, as many people, I, I, I'm not necessarily fond of my own uh, the sound of my own voice, but over the years I've come to accept it and at least try to improve upon it. And that's part of what I'm trying to do now is to become a better singer or at least try to be.
0: Now, as, uh, the, the tracks that you have chosen for the, the set list, which is, mm-hmm. as you say, the, the, uh, a full connected performance, are mainly from the Bible. Uh, that's your your your, your 2022 sure. album. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Bible, maybe how it got that name and what were <laughs> the themes you were exploring in it?
5: Well, I think the main theme was the notion of um, trying to... Create spiritual music, but not necessarily being a, a religious or deeply spiritual person in that way. And I felt that there was a there was room for that type of music um, because even being a vaguely a non believer myself, what I was interested in is I still have those feelings and those ideas and and, and emotions which I wanted to get across, and um, I, I was trying to find a way to do that without necessarily. Uh, embracing um, uh, organised religion or in that way, but trying to just, uh, as a regular person, trying to just express spirituality.
0: So we were going to play some of Dylan at The Mousetrap. Will you talk us okay. into that track before we play some of it?
5: Oh, uh, sure. Um, f- for me, it was... Um, it stemmed from a conversation I had with one of the producers about uh, the notion of, of Bob Dylan playing at a, at a humble... Um, venue in Minnesota called the Mousetrap, Um, and from that I I extrapolated the 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 ideas that I ended up singing about on the record.
0: Dylan at the Mousetrap from the Bible album and part of the set list for Lambchop's Dublin uh, event uh, that's going to be at the National Concert Hall on the 31st of January. Is that your voice unadorned by any processing, Kurt?
5: There's a little bit of processing going on on part of it. Initially, though, it it is my voice. And then what we've done is also um, introduce... um, another person's voice but he's singing in a very low uh almost uh, like a throat singing style of of singing and i've become interested in that in as a way of it's it sounds like it's been processed but it's actually just the the pure human voice and that's leading into what I'm, i'm getting closer to exploring is the notion that with the sound of other human voices you can actually process things in a very natural way And that's a very exciting thing.
0: Now, no more than in that track where you were inspired by by Dylan playing at at a venue, your tracks aren't overtly or even specifically political, but there is definitely a mood or a suggestion of political themes, isn't there? I mean, obviously, the previous album was called Nixon and then Police Dog Blues. There's, you know, there's subtlety in, 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 in the political message, I think.
5: Well, certainly. I, I feel like I'm a I'm a person of the world and I experience the same things that we all do. And that does enter into the things that I write about and sing about.
0: Right. And I suppose um, I know with with America going into an election yeah. year, that that people who are uh, either, you know, politically worried will be uh, very, certainly. you know, very, very sensitive to what's happening.
5: Certainly, yes. Um, it, it is a, a strange and, and discomforting time.
0: Um, the show in Dublin, um, this, the, the, the merging of the tracks uh, mm-hmm. as the performance goes along, what are you hoping as people go from track to track is the overall feeling or mood that will be evoked?
5: I was hoping to create an experience akin to, say, going to a film or something like that where you simply sit down and enjoy a presentation in its entirety um, as opposed to um, uh, individual songs and then moments where people would applaud or I would tell jokes about um, what's going on. Um, The design of it is more like looking at the music and presenting it in a way that allows it to do the, the, the talking for itself. Um, a lot of that has to do with the, the type of music um, that the last two couple of records I've made are in much, much of the case where it is very conversational or hopefully a, a um, dialogue between myself and the listener.
0: Well, it sounds like a very exciting evening. Kurt Wagner of Lamb Chop and Kurt and uh, Andrew Brodor, are at the National Concert Hall Dublin on the 31st of January at 8pm. Full details at nch.ie. Kurt Wagner thank you so much. Now to theatre. Selfage is a fast and funny one-man show about unravelling tightly wound modern anxieties. The show was nominated for two Irish Times Theatre Awards and uses physical storytelling, puppetry and a live original score to explore the many ways people try to calm themselves while a gnaw of anxiety waits not far from the surface. Written by James Reardon and produced by Brew Theatre, it will be part of the first fortnight Mental Health and Art and Culture Festival twenty. 24 and taking place in the Smock Alley Theatre on Friday the 12th of January and two shows on January the 13th. I'm joined now in studio by James Reardon himself. Uh, you're so welcome James.
4: Yeah. Me to uh,
0: the play is about a 13 year old boy called Joe who has a granny and they're living pretty happily together, but then things go wrong for both of them. So, it, bring us into the story.
4: Yeah, so that's it. The setup is that uh, everything is kind of in a, a state of balance, and then uh, Granny Fanny is uh, she's a revolutionary and she's a bit of a Bolshevik and she kind of is all about uh, the revolutions. So she ends up going a bit too far and getting uh, incarcerated, and so Joe is left to fend for himself. And I suppose it's the first time that he's had to to live or be in the world without that kind of calming influence of Granny and her knitting. You know, he'd sit at night and listen to her knitting. And so uh, we then follow his story as he goes off into the world, uh, and kind of comes full circle. Not to give it away.
0: Yes, you know. and as I said, it uses puppetry or no original score by Annie Malarkey. Um, it also has storytelling, a lot of physical performances from from yourself. Mm. So it's it's told as a fantasy, really, or or maybe a fairy tale.
4: Yes, there's a little bit of a kind of a fable uh, element to it, which I think allows for all the different storytelling techniques and types and styles to integrate more kind of seamlessly. Uh, So you're not, it's not a realistic piece of theatre, you know, it's not kind of trying to be a fourth wall realism within this fable that's narrated by a character called Lace who kind of is a a personification of Joe's anxiety um, as as he talks us through this story and it allows, I suppose, me to multi-role different characters without having to worry too much about uh, I said, he said, I said, that kind of back and forthness. You know, it allows for uh, talking to the audience by the different characters so that we're let in a little bit to their specific anxieties and how their uh, unease might manifest their own little gnaw starts to take place in the ticks and the physicalities. You know, the different characters that he meets on his way all have something going on and... Uh, then it allows me to come out and continue narrating. Um,
0: because as Joe goes on, on his journey in the fable, he every now and again meets a situation that may, has the potential to cause him anxiety and there lace this other character comes in and just jumps on it because he can see the gnaw that's going on in Joe, isn't it?
4: Yes, that's it. And so he goes through you know, finding foster care and going to a new school and these kind of uh, characters he meets along the way. And Lace is never too far away from him and from the situation and kind of commenting on on maybe some of the gnaws and anxieties of the other characters. Um, You know, there's a whole shadow puppetry section. We have masks by uh, a great maker called Orla Claher. And as you say, Anna Malarkey has done live music, so The singing and music is a really big part of allowing us to feel that sense of unease and that sense of calm and uh, plenty of wool and knitting needles and all those. Yes,
0: we'll come to the knitting because we have to come to the knitting. But anxiety itself, is that something, I mean, this is a creative, a very creative piece, but was it prompted by anxiety that you suffer yourself or was it just a subject matter that you thought was was rich for exploration?
4: No, absolutely. It was a, a a reaction in in some way to a period in my life, maybe about seven years ago, where I, for the first time, kind of really did suffer from anxiety and wasn't able to calm myself down. I didn't have the tools. And so I went off on my own journey on trying to figure it out and, and, and find ways in which I could feel better and calmer within myself. And when that did happen and I felt that I was back on solid ground, um, I, I decided to maybe turn it into a positive thing and to maybe make a show about it. And so I uh, was given the opportunity through a, a, an artist development program, Druid Fuel, to make a piece and work with Anna Malarkey and director Lara Campbell on creatively exploring maybe something that I had gone through or, or could at least speak to from my own point of view.
0: And where did the character of Lace, this uh, character that brings anxiety with him, where did that come from that you decided to personify anxiety as another character?
4: You know, I think it came back to the storytelling. I come from more of a physical theatre place. So, uh, you know, I would be making work that's not from a, a pre-written script place, I suppose. And Lace allowing us, allowing me to talk to the audience and have that nice rapport um, and also use language, the language of gnawing and anxiety and ticks And, you know, it, it's very rich language th- uh, that uh, around this theme. And so we started to play with it. And it allows me, I think, to also really enjoy myself physically and jump around the place and rhythmically too, you know, because you're meeting characters that mightn't always be fast-paced and therefore, you know, lace can push it along. Um, So it just started to work for us, yeah, and it went from there.
0: Now, you didn't write it for First Fortnight Festival, but obviously it's a great match for First Fortnight. What can you tell us about the festival this year?
4: Um, Well, we're delighted to be part of it. I mean, it's it's a... super festival that we've been going to for the last few years um, and we toured the country in 2022. We had 10 venues around uh, Ireland and uh, Maria Fleming from First Night first, night, first fortnight came to see us and we started that conversation and absolutely it really fits in with what they're trying to do to bring a bit of light in these darker few weeks you know in January that have you know been proven to be quite tough for people and so to offer art as a, as a place to come together and a place to be reflected and, um, you know, to kind of see something new at the same time, it felt like a good fit for us and for, for them. So we're delighted.
0: Now you have such fun, or we have such fun watching you with the characters you've created. There's Pearl, who is the foster uh, woman, who is a very kind person, and yet she's afraid of the authorities that she mightn't be in, you know, in putting enough rules in the way of the child Joe she has fostered. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the the, the there's his,
4: Mary who works in the in the office, um, and she, you know. Uh, computers keep failing her and the world keeps moving on too fast and she can't keep up and it's absolutely stressing her out and it's it's manifesting in a certain way. You know, Pearl, everything is absolutely spotlessly clean and you keep cleaning and, and you know, I have great fun with all the cleaning and, the, you know. Uh, there's the Mosh there who is the principal or the, uh, the principal of the school, the new school he goes to which is all about winning and competitiveness and the hurling and gold medals and we'll be grand lads and, you know, there's a bit of the Irish language in there because we would work quite bilingually as a company so I wanted to get it in a little bit without it being prohibitive to people uh, but I have you know great fun with that as you can imagine
0: So let's play a clip of uh, the knitting so you might just speak talk us into the knitting well let's play the knitting and I'll ask you questions about knitting after this Great
3: Well good evening comrades Now you are all very welcome before we begin i would like to remind you no biting and no fighting i'm looking directly at you mrs no biting the first rule of knitting is that you knit for the knitting and not for the winning now i'm going to throw this ball and if i take your eye out i'm very sorry knitting is that you never covet another knitter's cross stitch huh? you keep your chin down but you keep your heart up comrades. for the love of God stay alive never knit and drive
0: that's uh, James Reardon They're performing from his show, Selvage, which is on as part of the first fortnight festival. So talk to us about knitting. I, the, the granny is a character in this, but you also have or had a granny who was a great knitter. Yes,
4: I uh, ha- had a granny who was a great knitter and she used to knit amazing things. And uh, I... I'm not a great knitter now. I don't want to tell you lies, but I, as a, uh, as an active meditation, I could see that it used to calm her down. And when thinking about this uh, play, having gone through my own uh, kind of period of anxiety and trying to figure out how I could calm myself down, active meditation, things that can just take your mind out of your mind, if that makes sense. That's something you can do with your body, almost uh, short circuits the the overthinking to calm yourself down was something I started to think about with this piece. And I was very fond of my Granny Kay, who was from Bal and Mayo. And uh, she really did inspire a granny in terms of, you know, not just the knitting. Um,
0: she was, was she a revolutionary? Uh, oh, no, she wasn't. I'd like to <laughs> yeah, say she was bit. actually.
4: But she was wild and she was really good fun. And uh, I, you know, I, when it came to it, it felt to make... Making work about what you know felt at the time like a, a good place to start. And so a lot of the characters are, are people that I may have met once or twice in my life, and particularly Granny and the knitting. Um, and tell us about selvage and what selvage means. So selvedge is a, a line of knitting that secures itself. So it's a self-securing line that you'd often find with almost like jean, jeaned, um fabrics or kind of tougher fabrics that there's a line you can do with knitting needles that means it will secure itself and not unravel. And so it felt like a very nice, it's a strange word that you don't see very much, kind of sounds a bit like salvage, um, which I liked. And so it, I suppose, is a bit of the what we're hoping to get across with the show, that if you can find a way to secure yourself and not rely too much on external things to make you feel good and feel calm, then the chances are you'll you'll do okay. You know, it, it, it's about finding in your own way maybe something that you can rely on to keep you keep you sound.
0: Now, we've had Anna Malarkey on uh, Arena a number of times. And so did you work closely with her in creating the soundscape for, for the show?
4: Yes, absolutely. So when we started in 2018... Um, I asked her to come with me and I just had an idea and I went to school and I'm very close friends with her sister, Mia Malarkey, and he's a filmmaker and so Anna was doing great things and the two of us came together um, to start kind of exploring ideas and she was writing songs and I was vibing on the songs and she was vibing on the words and we were going back and forth. So it's been brilliant. And She's worked a lot with us uh, on our different shows with Brew, um, Arash Arish most recently, which actually we were on, uh, she was on here um, about. So it's, it's been a really lovely collaboration with someone who's very dear to my heart. So.
0: And does she perform live with you? Oh, yes. Right, yes, because she sings Peggy Littlemore.
4: She does on the Boweron, yes, (laughs) Yes. full disclosure. Yes, Uh, She is there right beside me and sometimes we can't look at each other because we know a moment is coming up that we both find quite funny. Um, She is playing uh, synth and she's singing and she's doing stuff with her voice and then she's playing piano, uh, keyboards and Boweron. You know, she's great and it wouldn't be a show without her, absolutely not.
0: Yes, and then the puppetry. Again, they're they're those kind of shadow puppets, aren't they?
4: So we've shadow puppets, yes, that was made by an artist in Galway called Gala, Tommaso. And then we have uh, little finger puppet things that are are part of the set. And then we have a mask uh, character that is almost another personification of anxiety. I think there's, there's, um, you know, there's little motifs that go through the piece around teeth and gnashing and gnawing that we kind of bring to different... uh, as you say, puppets and and music and masks. You know, it's it. That's the joy of theatre, right? You can tell the story in a. a a physical way that's in the space that doesn't have to be completely in landed in realism and people will yes. go with you.
0: And even though there are serious, very serious themes explored in the play, and I think in a lot of, of what's on in First Fortnight, they they are explored in, in your way in humour and music and puppetry. It, like, I don't think people should be afraid of going to shows in case they think that, that, you know, they might be angsty by going.
4: Absolutely not. I think the opposite, you know, I think it's it's been beautifully programmed to encourage and offer hope and light and at the same time, you know, serious art and, um, you know, stuff that's been acclaimed and there's loads of workshops and installations. You know, it's a very multidisciplinary programme.
0: Well we look forward to talking to more of the First Fortnight people here on Arena. James Reardon, thank you and James's play Selvage will be on in the Smock Alley Theatre on Friday the 12th of January and two shows on Saturday the 13th as part of the First Fortnight Mental Health Art and Culture Festival 2024 firstfortnight.ie is the contact there. That's it for tonight's show. The programme was researched by Paula Shields and Liam Murphy James Feeney was on sound, Ollie Hamilton was the broadcast coordinator and tonight The show was produced by Reg Luby, and John Creighton is up next after the news.